it's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Tuesday, March 15th, the Ides of March 2016. Beware the Ides of March. <laughs> Not sure why. I mean, I think it has something to do with Julius Caesar. That's what I remember from freshman year in high school. Tuning in, you're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you slow down, slow, 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 slow down, and open up your Bible. Yeah, you stop, open up your Bible, and then, you know, compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of really crazy things being said out there. We take the time to open up our Bibles and do the comparative work to check and see what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolates, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complexes, those who we need to be listening to, whose books we need to be buying, whose tchotchkes we need to be having on our keychains, you know, stuff like that, to see if what they're saying actually squares with what God's Word says in context, or if they're actually being quite innovative and, um, let's say, uh, spreading the biblical butter really thin. You know what I'm saying here? Uh, Generally teaching for shameful gain the things that they ought not to teach. And over and again, we find that, yeah, there's a lot of guys out there who are really popular who from like the biblical standard, like nobody should be listening to. I think that's a good way of putting it. So uh, let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. This is our first really normal program in a while. Today we're going to begin with a Perry Stone update. That's right. We're going to be answering, well, Perry Stone's going to be answering the question of what the anointing can and cannot do. Like, can you use the anointing to clean the glass on the windshield of your vehicle, or can you not? I, <laughs> yeah, no, the, the, <laughs> I'm not joking. The name of the episode is what the anointing can and cannot do. And you're thinking, what anointing are we talking? Yeah, that's kind of the problem is is that he engages in some kind of lexical gymnastics in this uh, bit that we're going to be listening to. And the things that he says are... Yeah, almost nonsensical is kind of the way I, I put it. It's like I don't even know what he's talking about. So, uh, so that'll start off our episode of Fighting for the Faith. Then we'll switch gears altogether. We have an emergent church update with Rob Bell. Rob Bell uh, recently appeared on the Relevant podcast uh, discussing his brand new book. Um, like, what is it? Uh, you know, be here. You know, something like I'll have to look at my notes uh, on another page, but. Yeah, his latest book, and <laughs> the th- the things that he says are quite bizarre. Like, you know, what if I told you, I, you know, I've decided I'm going to write a book and teaching you how to experience like a really cool life by trying to mimic your life after you've had a brain injury. Mm-hmm. You're I, you're looking at me funny, and I'll 
just you know, work with me here. That's what Rob Bell is about to do. And then he says some weird things about the Eucharist. So we'll be uh, listening to a little bit of that somewhere in there, depending on how you know the the time works. We'll take a break when we come back from the break, or sometime you know thereafter. We have a Stephen Furtick update. Stephen Furtick has a, a new book out called Unqualified. And we're not going to look at the promo video today, but we're going to look at a sermon that he preached last Sunday called Piece It Together. And, um, yeah, it's weird. Yeah, I mean, he's the king of the narcissists. I mean, in narcissistic eisegesis, is reading yourself into every biblical text. And so, you know, what if I told you, like, you know, the stories, uh, you know, in the Bible uh, where the disciples... Uh, you know, Jesus miraculously breaks bread and, and multiplies fishes and stuff like that and loaves and fishes and feeds great multitude and there's leftover pieces. Yeah, that somehow that represents, you know, how you need, you know, how you got to work with the different pieces of your life so that <laughs> you could be um, greatly used of God or something like that. You stop looking at me like that. Yeah, you see, you know, you're looking at me weird. And then... <laughs> Then in hour number two, we are going to head down to Venue Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and we're going to be listening to a sermon by Tavner Smith, somebody we recently reviewed in the first hour here at Fighting for the Faith. And, <laughs> yeah, um, the name of the sermon series is Selfie Sunday. Mm-hmm. And um, the name of the sermon in question we'll be reviewing is Don't Do Life Alone. Don't Do Life Alone. And you're going to hear Tavner Smith um, engaging in what I would consider to be gratuitous social media self-promotion during a sermon by encouraging the members there at Venue Church to take a selfie of themselves at church and then uh, tweet it out or send it out on Facebook. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, what we're going to be doing for today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Strongly recommend you make yourself comfortable. By the way, fuzzy bunny slippers do enhance your listener experience here at Fighting for the Faith. If you have never listened with a pair of fuzzy bunny slippers, you do not know what you're missing. Since we're going to begin with a, uh, a Perry Stone update, that requires us to do this. I'm a nut. I'm a nut. My life don't ever get in a rut. The head on my shoulders is so loose. And I ain't got sense God gave a goose. Lord, I ain't crazy. But I'm a nut. Is it wetter underwater if you're there when it rains? Is it shorter to New York than it is by plane? Between myself and I, I wonder who's the dumber. Is it hotter down south than it is in the summer? I'm a nut. I'm a nut. My life don't ever get in a rut. The head on my shoulders is so loose. And I ain't got sense God gave a goose. Lord, I ain't crazy. But I'm a nut. That's right. Leroy Pullins and I'm a nut. So the name of this episode of Perry Stone's <clears throat> manifest program is titled... What the anointing can and cannot do. Can you use the anointing to help you hit a better golf shot? I don't know. I'm not sure, but maybe, you know. So we're going to find out what the anointing can and cannot do. Here we go. For a moment, the manifest telecast on what the anointing can and cannot do. Now notice it's the anointing, what it can and cannot do. Okay, what can the anointing? Yeah, you got to say it like that. Yeah, what, it, what can it? do and what can it do i i don't know 
First of all, yeah. Acts 10 uh, tells us this, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about... <laughs> Holy Ghost and with power. Y- yes, that is what Acts 10 38 says. Now, notice what we're going to need in order to actually answer the question that Perry Stone is apparently going to solve um, and answer is we're going to need some biblical text in context that really clearly define what the anointing is and what it isn't. Uh, that this is all you, well, something you need, right? Um, but I want you to pay attention to what he's going to do. He's just going to kind of hopscotch around <laughs> the script. Yeah, he's going to do some hopscotching. That's what he's going to do. So he's going to hopscotch around and, and do some lexical gymnastics, but not really exegete any given text. Yeah, that's kind of weird. Here we go again. Good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Yeah. Now, I want to take you back, however, to the Old Testament where the idea or concept of the anointing originated. Mm-hmm. The idea of the anointing originated. Okay. In the Old Testament, the anointing was an act that was performed usually by a priest or by someone who was a prophet. And they would take a a, a horn, actually it's a shofar, and instead of cutting a hole in the end that you blow through to make the sound out of the shofar, they would keep the horn intact, and then they would take oil and pour it in the top part of the uh, the horn, and they had a seal on it where they could carry it. And then what they would do is they would take that to the person or the place that God instructed them to go to and they would pour the sacred oil and it was olive oil of course uh, made from the crushed olives over the head of the individual now in the time of king david we read that when samuel poured the oil on david's head that the spirit of the lord came upon david at that moment so when someone was marked by god himself for the anointing of of uh, of the anointing itself i should say the oil poured on their head attracted the holy spirit to that person <coughs> What? (laughs) Let me see if I have this straight, okay? (laughs) So the Holy Spirit's out there wandering around, you know, oh, what am I going to do? I got nothing to do today. And so you pour oil on somebody's head, you know, ding, 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 there goes oil. Oh, I'm so attracted. So so the the pouring of oil and, and anointing of somebody is... It turns the person into a bug lamp for the Holy Spirit? Really? And so that person was marked by the oil, but more more than that, was consecrated unto God through the act of anointing. When you come into the New Testament, you discover that anointing, First uh, John chapter 2, verse 17, the Greek word is charisma, charisma, or charisma, as it said. And so this is where we get the word charismatic. This is where we get the word... Uh, ch- yeah, no, so notice, he just references the text, doesn't read it, it's, and then says, you know, the word for anointing in that verse is... Um, yeah, it's charisma. Um Hmm. Yeah, see, he's not actually reading these texts for us. We're not. How are we supposed to answer the question what the anointing can and cannot do? I mean, there's there's single people out there who are wanting to know if the anointing can help them get a date. You know, so, I mean, you you need to, you know, answer this question by opening up the Bible and actually reading some texts so that we can figure out what this anointing can't. We want to know how practical it is. I mean, aside from being a bug lamp for the Holy Spirit, and where the Holy Spirit, I am so attracted to you. All of a sudden, yeah, yeah that, see that, 
you know, I know that sounds practical and all, but we, we need to know what can what this can and can't do. Zmata, the nine gifts of the Spirit, for example, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, 7 through 10, are the gifts of God's graces. And the Greek word for gifts used by the Apostle Paul is the charismata. And so the actual word charisma or charismata means to smear, to rub on, and it means an endowment. Uh, Luke 24 says... Yeah, you know, I just, he's not actually reading any texts. So I, you're, this is the most convoluted, you know, teaching on the so-called anointing that I've ever seen. And the reason why I'm saying that is because he ain't actually telling me anything about what the, uh, the anointing is said to do or not do in like, you know, a biblical text. I think that would be helpful so, I mean, this, again, just really, really weird here. All right, let's continue here. You shall receive uh, uh, power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. Acts All right, chapter- so, he's, uh, so he's read Luke twenty four forty nine. Let me read it. Behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. Stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Yeah, that would be the, the Holy Spirit. Um, so, I mean... But Luke twenty four forty nine doesn't actually say anything about an anointing. Um, and then he's going to read Acts 1, 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Again, I just want to know exegetically what makes you think this is talking about, quote-unquote, the anointing. 1 verse 8 says that, but Luke 24 said, you will be clothed or endued with power from on high when the Holy Spirit comes. The word endued in Greek, it's to wrap somebody in a garment or to place. <sighs> so what can and can't the, whole, the, the anointing do? I'm really confused now garment of clothing over them so if we go to luke 24 and we tie in with acts chapter 10 we discover that the bible reveals to us that when the anointing comes god is smearing his presence rubbing his presence upon us and clothing us with his power you didn't really even read any of these texts you just gave me lexical definitions of words that appear in different verses Uh, the anointing abides in the holy spirit and the holy spirit abides in us yeah now the reason i'm telling you about the the greek word about the anointing and in the old testament the hebrew word for the anointing and the reason is because you're trying to confuse me is because when you look at both of these words it implies the pouring out of something on a person and the rubbing in of something on a person so therefore So because it implies pouring and rubbing, oh, there it is. It's the anointing. So what can and can it do? Talk about the anointing. The anointing is what comes over a person where you can feel the presence of God. Uh, Oh, boy. Sacramental goosebumps talking about here. Talk to you for a moment. If you attend, let's say, a, a church where there's just anointed worship and great singing and great preaching, you will know what I'm talking about, how suddenly there's a divine moment where the presence of God comes into the place and uh, the hair of your flesh begins to stand up. Yeah, that's I told you he was going to go goosebumps on us. Oh, really? R- really? Really? Yeah, I could tell the Holy Spirit was here because I had, I get goosebumps and the hair stands up on my arms, you know, 
and legs, you know, for all kinds of different reasons, like a scary movie or, you know, maybe I'm, you know, <laughs> my wife is mad at me. <laughs> yeah, I ain't the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and so what happens if you go to a church service and nobody gets goosebumps? Do you think the Holy Spirit like totally like passed over your church? You know, people say, man, I was, I, this was so powerful today. I had goosebumps all over my arm. And I've always, how do you know it wasn't caused by the smoke machine? Young people, I said, no, it's not goosebumps. It's ghost bumps. It's, bum- oh, man. <laughs> I swear I need to call today's episode ghost bumps. Oh, man. <laughs> from the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. And uh, it's hard to explain why that happens, but it can happen uh, in preaching in the middle of a church service. So what happens... Yeah, it can happen in the middle of a scary movie. It can happen as suspenseful part of a, of a really good thriller. It can happen while you're reading a really good mystery novel, you know? You are feeling the rubbing effect, the... Co- <laughs> Oh man! So when you get ghost bumps, you're feeling the <laughs> the rubbing effect of the Holy Spirit. Well, this is insanity. Effect the, the 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 clothing, the draping effect of the Holy Spirit as He's in the atmosphere. See, I believe this. I believe that the Holy Spirit He's everywhere at one time. He's just like God. God is omnipresent. No, 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 no. He's not just like God. The Holy Spirit is God. God, the third person of the Holy Trinity. Whoo, wow. Boy, I wonder if that belies something um, deficient in his understanding of God. Well, his spirit is everywhere at one time because he's connected with God. He's the Ruach HaKodesh. No, he's not connected with God. The Holy Spirit is God. Is the presence and spirit of God. However, the spirit of God abides within us. First John tells us in chapter two, you have an unction from the Holy One. First John two twenty, I believe it is, and two twenty seven, if I'm correct. But you have an unction from the Holy One, and that unction teaches you. Now, here's the thing about the anointing: when the anointing of God is present, it, it, He manifests, or you can sense Him. Number one, from the well that 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 starts stirring up on the inside of you. See, John seven. Oh, yeah, I can tell. Uh, oh, wow. Whoa, that well. In, whoa, there's a well inside of me. Just, you know, you, somebody it's like turned on the bubbles in the jacuzzi and the well inside of me. What is this? this? That Jesus made a statement on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. And he makes this statement. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. This spake key of the spirit, which they that believe on him should receive for the Holy Ghost was not yet given for Jesus was not yet glorified. So- <sighs> yeah. Talk about a verse out of context, man. I think you get the idea. This is <laughs> this is some crazy teaching here. Haven't quite heard anything like this. All right, moving along. Yeah, these are the sounds of the emergent postmodern Philharmonic Orchestra conducted by Doug Patrick. Yeah, you'll notice that uh, over there in the corner is uh, Ron Bell. He's playing uh, French horns today for this rendition of uh, Strauss's also Sprach Zarathustra. As 
you can tell, they've uh, jettisoned the modern definition of notes, and they're now just being led by the Spirit in this rousing, avant-garde rendition of this particular piece of music. Just so cutting edge. Yeah, and that's why we don't let junior hires play complex pieces of music. All right, what we're going to be listening to. Rob Bell has a brand new book out, and he's been out doing the book tour. Um, let me. What's the name of it? How to Be Here. How to Be Here. Yeah, that's the name of it. And what if I told you, the, the subtitle, by the way, is A Guide to Creating a Life Worth Living. You think, well, all right, so how do I create a life worth living? Well, the, <laughs> the, answer, <laughs> the answer to that question is you need to learn how to live your life as if you had a brain injury. Yeah, I, I know. Stop looking at me like that. <laughs> It's not me. It's 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 Rob Bell that's saying that, not me. So uh, <laughs> I think you'll kind of get what's going on here. So let me go ahead and dive into it. This is from the uh, relevant podcast, episode 483, as Rob Bell and the interviewer discuss his new, his, uh, new book, uh, "Be How to Be Here. Here we go. That kind of is the theme of not the theme of, but it kind of is the springboard it seems for your new book, how to be here, which is about kind of chasing your dreams and stepping out and taking that risk to pursue your passions and kickstart life. And I mean, I'm assuming that you've been living this out for the last five years and that's where the book comes from. Yeah. The book actually, its roots go way back. I hit my head in the summer. Okay. So you listen to what he just said, okay? So apparently the story of of the roots of the book appear later in the book, but the roots of the book are Rob Bell hit his head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, here are the details. I, I, didn't, I didn't know if you were going to tell the story because that's a pretty big moment in the book. But, I mean, okay, please go You think go I should there. give it away? What do you think? No, I should I, just maybe I, let people read it? Okay, my next question was, if you're willing to tell the story on the podcast, tell the story about hitting your head. I mean, it is so amazing, the uh, life moment. It's so amazing. He hit his head. His and He got a concussion and... His brain wasn't functioning properly. Why would I want to live my life like I had a brain injury? Woman, that happens. So, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, because that's really where the book comes from. Yeah. Is I was doing backflips on a wakeboard in the summer of 2000. I hit my head a bunch of times in a row, and I get a closed head injury. And I was 30 uh, at, at that summer. I had just turned 30, actually. And... So I get taken to the hospital where I discover, well, I, I'm totally out of it. So my my friends discover, and Kristen, my wife, discovers that I have a closed head injury. And they take me back to my house, and I see everything for the first time like, I'm, like I've never seen it. I get a tour of my life, 
and my brain what, what happens with a concussion closed head injury by the way who gets who gets a closed head injury by hitting their head on water um but i uh, my brain is trying to like essentially plug everything back in and so my brain doesn't have any capacity for the future which is where worry and anxiety comes from and my brain doesn't have any energy or capacity to think about the past which is where regret comes from my brain can only be present and So <laughs> the whole genesis, the roots of the book are based in this. Oh my goodness. I am And by the way, Rob Bell is a guy who's supposed to be some kind of a Christian author. You know, so I mean, when this book appears at your local Barnes and Noble, that that not that there's a lot of those left, but uh, at your local Barnes and Noble, it's going to show up in like the Christianity section. I think it needs to show up in the religious fiction section, but I mean, what is this? Getting a tour of my life, yeah. but my brain is only able to take in what is happening in the exact present moment. And it's not just like the present moment's enough, it's too much. Like Kristen made me this burrito and I could taste every one of the spices individually. They, I remember they brought my boys into the room and I just kept going, wait, these are ours? I'm asking Kristen where we met and what my job is. Now, notice here, what we're dealing with here is basically him creating um, a theology, uh, a paradigm for life, not based on the objective word of God. No, this is a theology, paradigm for life, sanctification, whatever it means, that is grounded in his interpretation of his personal life experiences, which is not how you're supposed to uh, weave together your own theology or anything of the sort. Yeah, it's, it's, it's rather fascinating what it is that we're listening to here. And um, yeah, it's definitely interesting enough that we, we have to come back to it. But uh, we are literally up on our first break. So if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, balance of our Rob Bell segment. And then uh, we have a Stephen Furtick update coming Stay tuned, don't want to miss them. We'll be right back. If you think God is a black woman named Papa, then you need to get out of the shack and read your Bible. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs>
Hey guys, it's Rex here. I know that you've all been hearing about Stephen Furtick's latest book, Greater. Well, I took the time to check it out, and I have to say that I was greatly underwhelmed. For example, in this book he talks about Elisha burning his plows in order to follow Elijah. For some reason, Furtick then asked us to do the same. Uh-huh. Right. Furtick only gave you half the story. Where in your book does it tell everyone to sacrifice their oxen and cook their carcasses over your burning plows, Furtick? Nowhere. That's why I'm taking it one step further with my new book, Greater Than or Equal To. You think Furtick's book was bad? Well, my book will do it better, better. I'm not a wimp like Furtick. I do it all. That's right. Not only did I burn my plows like Elisha, but I took my oxen and I sacrificed them with my bare hands. I moved on from that, and I'm now living it up like John the Baptist. I wear a camel's hair jacket with my Bible pants and eat locusts with wild honey. I added some chipotle sauce for flavor. I, I guess it worked. Anyway, got another question for you, Furtick. Ever heard of Hosea? Well, you conveniently skipped the whole part about marrying a prostitute. Well, I did it. On top of that, I'm cooking the locusts tonight for my new wife. Just like Ezekiel. I'm cooking my food over poop. It's so awesome. So watch out, Furtick. Greater than or equal to is way better than your book, you pansy. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. All right, we're back. 
warning. Listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that your own personal experiences um, are not the place you go to actually figure out um, sanctification and things regarding theology. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. You can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute, well, an amount of money that you pick. That's right. We have four, uh, uh, if you would, uh, four ranks in our crew, depending on your monthly contribution. Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. Gunner's Mate at $24.95. Master Gunner at $49.95. Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. Is a great way to support us. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. Let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, here's a little bit more of Rob Bell. Here we go. And I'm seeing it all as it is, as if I'm seeing it for the first time, getting this tour of my life, and it's absolutely astonishing. I'm so overwhelmed with all of it. And uh, it took about a week for the concussion symptoms to subside, but I had tasted an entirely different mode of living where you're... Yeah, that's called living with a brain injury. If God wanted us to live like that, if that was normal or, you know, something to strive for, <laughs> then then that wouldn't happen except for when you have a brain injury. <sighs> Only in the present moment. And I'm like everybody else at the time, uh, re- going to meetings, responding to emails, busy, busy, busy. Uh, and it was like I had tasted a different way of living and I didn't have any muscles or skills or techniques for this. I was taught, probably like you, I was taught how to work hard, how to strategize, how to network, how to multitask, like how to climb the ladder. But nobody taught me how to be fully present. Um, and so in many ways... <laughs> so apparently um, the the beneficial name of this particular head injury symptom is called being fully present. Mm-hmm. Ways the book is sort of what I've learned over the past 15 years of how to feel like you're not skimming the surface of your own life, how to live in such a way that you don't feel like time is flying by. Um, so that's sort of where the book comes from, which is why I, I, that story sort of comes at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's where the book comes from. It's from his closed head injury. Yeah, everybody knows that's the best way to live your life. You started Marcel when you were 28, right? Yeah. If you could, knowing what you know now, you're 45, what, if you could go back and tell 28 year old Rob Bell anything, what would it be? I would say that the good news is better than that. Hmm. It's bigger and wider and better and deeper and stronger and more vibrant. And I would say relax Hmm. and take a day off or two a week and go on vacation more and remember that there's less to people to impress. 
You don't have to prove anything and just do less because doing a few things with the fullness of your being grounded and centered. I, I feel like I'm listening to some kind of an Eastern mystic. Totally dialed in and fully present is worth a thousand things done rushing from one thing to the next, just distracted, checking your phone, running late to the next thing. So I would say less is more. Hmm. Uh, yeah, wow, yeah. This is the sound of one hand clapping. Oh, yeah, that's just amazing. Uh, when you think back about that guy, 28-year-old Rob, and all that you've experienced since then and, um, you know, grown and the criticisms that you've had and the risks you've taken, like, um, anything you would change, like, in the, in the journey like, is there anything that stands out that, that you would do differently? Oh, my word. Where do I start? <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't understand that you breaking yourself open and pouring yourself out for the healing of the world. Uh, w- w- what? Me breaking myself open, pouring myself out for the healing of... Am, am I the most... Am I God? Whoa, what is that? That is the Eucharist mystery present in all of creation. The bo- uh, the Eucharist mystery. Present in all of creation, too. Wow. Yeah, I've never read about the Eucharist mystery in Scripture. Um, not sure where he's getting any of this from. Um, oh, it, oh, yeah, that's right. His own life experiences. Because that's, uh, that's the place where we create our theologies from, you know. Body broken and the blood poured out. That is the Christ life. That is the Christ pattern. That is the Christ invitation. I didn't understand. The Christ pattern, the Christ invitation. Huh? Understand that the gift that you give the world of yourself is what spills out over the top. Hmm. Mm, Yeah, the gift of yourself. Yeah, that's the part that's, you know, spills out over the top. Whoa. I, my mind's blown. I'll I'll never be the same after hearing that man. Yeah, it's the stuff that spills right out over the top. Wow. Yeah, this, yeah, weave that into your daily conversations with people. So I I just went and went and went and gave and gave and gave until I sort of collapsed. And I I I think this is like the great epidemic of our age is we go harder and harder and harder until we sort of collapse. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I didn't understand a Eucharist rhythm of life. <laughs> just can't make this stuff up. What is a Eucharist rhythm? Uh, I've got rhythm. It's the Eucharist. Da, 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 da. Yeah, you, what? What? <laughs> <sighs> And I'm sure there's people listening to the relevant podcasts going, wow, that is just so cool, man. Yeah. <laughs> just laid back surfer dude. Yeah, wow, man. You know, I you didn't think, by the way, he's talking. He lives in uh, Colorado, you know. In which the body is broken, the blood is poured out, and there's a corresponding season when the body is put back together and the blood is poured back in. I did not know the Eucharist ran in reverse. I just had no clue. 
that there's a part where like the the broken body comes back together and then you you know, just pour the blood back in there you go and then you could just break and pour all over again you know it's all part of the eucharist rhythm who can ask for anything more wow <laughs> just i think i need to move along cuz that is just absolute there's nothing biblical that you know i'm not even how do you correct such a thing because None of this is actually taught anywhere in scripture. I mean, he's just kind of rolling his own theology and smoking it. You know, I think that's kind of the problem there. All right, moving along. Yeah, time for a Stephen Furtick update. is some kind of a tacit confession of sins for him. But <laughs> we're going to listen to a part of his sermon titled Piece It Together. And I, well, never quite <laughs> heard the Bible used this way. It's a long segment, so uh, hunker in, settle down. Let's go ahead and back off on the music. Here's uh, Stephen Furtick from... <laughs> His sermon titled, Piece It Together, from his Unqualified Sermon Series. Here we go. Turn your attention to Mark chapter 8. We're in week 2 of a series called Unqualified, How God Uses Broken People to Do Big Things. Turn to your neighbor and say, I think he wrote this one for you. How God Uses Broken People to Do Great Things. Got it? That sounds like something you need to hear. Mark chapter 8, verse 11. Mark chapter 8, verse 11. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus to test him. They asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. 
Then he left them, got back into the boat and crossed to the other side. And I almost didn't even mention those verses, but they're so important uh, as I put this sermon together that I wanted to catch them before we got to 14 through 21. But, but here's the, the heart of the message. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Look how bright the disciples are. They discussed this with one another and said, because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? And they answered, seven. And he said to them, do you still not understand? All right, so that's kind of the question. Do you still not understand? So let's take a look at the text real quick here, see if we can figure out what Jesus is talking about. So we're going to apply our three rules for sound biblical exegesis, which are context, context, context. Here, we'll start at uh, Mark eight eleven. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. He sighed deeply. The Spirit said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now, when they had forgotten to bring the bread, they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, watch out, beware the leaven or the yeast of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. So Jesus's warning here is about the yeast of the Pharisees, legalism. Um, yeah, and even of Herod himself. So that, this, is, this is a warning from Jesus about the yeast of the Pharisees, which, you know, seems to still be brewing here in the uh, Christian church at large. But anyway, so, and they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. They didn't get what Jesus was saying. You know, Jesus is using an, a metaphor here. So Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? It's like they totally missed the point. Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said 12. And he, and seven for the 4,000. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? So what's the question? So what do they not understand? Okay. Jesus kind of went through all of this to kind of say, I'm not talking about bread, the one loaf we got here in the in the boat. I'm talking about the leaven, the teaching, the doctrine of the Pharisees. That's really kind of the point of all of this. Now, let's see where Furtick goes next with this. When I broke the loaves, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Don't you remember the pieces? I want to speak to... No, they're, 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 don't you remember the pieces? From this subject, piece it together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My brain just uh, just did a one of those things. You, know, you ever have like a brain freeze when you're eating ice cream? My, my, I think I just had a theological brain freeze. Just, everything just stopped. And whoa, that hurt. 
piece it together. And on your way down to your seat, ask your neighbor, do you still not get it? Do you still not get it? (laughs) Do you not get that this is about the yeast of the Pharisees, which is legalism? Be seated. God has a calling for your life, but you're going to have to piece it together. What? (laughs) What was the point of him reading the text? The text has nothing to do with you piecing your life together. (laughs) Maybe there's something in the water here in the U.S. I'm beginning to think that maybe we're being poisoned by something. My main reaction to the text is essentially one of disbelief that the disciples could have seen all that they saw and still not see what was right before their very eyes. Uh, uh, (laughs) Exegetically, what are you talking about? I mean, don't you get it? There's not, there's not really a, there's not really an excuse. I don't want to come to their defense that they're sitting in the boat with the one who just performed two massive miracles and they're still worried about missing pieces. Apparently. Uh, no, 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 no. Yeah, no, I just read the text. They weren't worried about missing pieces. What are you, like, you know, my wife worries about missing pieces when she's working on one of those, you know, 500,000 piece jigsaw puzzles. Yeah, that's always kind of a bummer. You know, you, you spend weeks working on this thing and, you know, and every time I walk by the table that it's sitting on, you know, it's, you know, you're trying to figure out, you know, maybe if I put a piece here, and then, you know, you solve a couple of pieces here and there, but my wife will sit there for hours working on these things. And then that it starts getting close to the end. Yeah, you, you, you know, things finally starting to come together. And, you know, and there it is. And it's got like three pieces in, def- in four different places that are just, they're missing. They're gone. And you're sitting there going, yeah, maybe the, maybe the cat got it, you know. Um, <laughs> this is not what this text is about. Somebody didn't do their job. And so there's no lunch for the disciples. So Jesus is teaching a lesson to the disciples and he's trying to take them to the next level of their awareness and understanding of who he is, what he came to do. As he does it, he uses an analogy comparing yeast, which is the self-righteousness of the Pharisees. Right. Bingo. Bingo. Yeah, that's right. Maybe he can be he can be taught here. Hang on. Who he just left. Right. Comparing that self-righteousness to the yeast that is in. The bread. Yeah. Now, if you allow yourself to get a little self-righteous, it's just a matter of time before it takes over every area of your life. And Right. That's the main point of this pericope, this little portion of the Gospel of Mark. So, I mean, he's fully aware of what actually it is about, but what is he going to do next? And, well, all they hear is bread. And so immediately... And all you're hearing is the word pieces. But to argue, some scholars would say that the verse is actually incorrectly translated in English. Instead of saying it is because we have no bread, they were saying something like, more like, why don't we have any bread? Like Peter, Andrew, <laughs> whose job was it to bring the bread? But regardless of the construction of the question in Koine Greek, I think we can all relate to the premise that Life is largely about recognition. Uh, Huh? 
life is largely about recognition. And I'm realizing more and more the importance of recognition in my recognition of what? Today life. Yeah. Recognition. Recognition of what is right before you often. And when we read the text, it's easy for us to almost see the comedy in it that Jesus was trying to talk to them about the yeast of self-righteousness. Yeah. And they're thinking about wheat and rye and pumpernickel, but it's, it's really, it's really not fair for us to do that because, um, um <laughs> why do I feel like he's trying to figure out how to get away from what the text means so that he could teach what he wants? You just, even the look on his face kind of says it. Well, we have a benefit that the disciples didn't have for, for one. Right, yeah. They did not know that they were the main characters in Mark chapter eight, verses 14 through 21. You do realize that when people were writing the Bible and where people were doing the things that were written about in the Bible, they didn't know they were going to end up in the Bible. Right. Okay. So they weren't thinking, boy, this is going to be a cool story uh, that they're going to preach about at Elevation Church in 2016. And we see it a little differently because we're looking back on it. Have you noticed how many things look different when you're looking back on them? What is he doing here? This is a strange maneuver. I mean, he's just explained what the text is about, and he's trying to figure out a way to wander away from it, you know, and so that no one will actually see him while he's doing it. And how difficult it is to see some things while you're going through yeah. that you can see clearly when you're looking back. Talk. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I got nothing. I don't know what he's talking about. This is why it's so easy for you to give advice to a teenager, but it was hard for you to be one. You sucked when you were one, but now that you have one, you can tell them what? The big picture. That's the other benefit. We what, what is this? Is this like fog machine Jesus? I mean, where you use the fog machine to blur everything so that you could disappear from where the, what the text really means and reappear over here and say, now it means this. What, what am I hearing here? The disciples were, were inside yeah. the frame. It's kind of hard yeah. to see the big picture when you're in the frame. <laughs> what on earth? Oh, wow. It's so hard nowadays to find good biblical exegetes, um, especially anybody like in a large megachurch. It's easy for you to see what they should have seen when you're not going through what they were going through yeah. because they were worried about lunch. And a lot of times in our lives, I think we don't recognize the big picture. Yeah, especially when you're worried about lunch, you know, yeah. Because we experience life in pieces. <laughs> There's the word again, pieces. Yeah, he's building to something. He's experiencing life in pieces, yeah. Because, you know, there were pieces left over. And so this is something to do with, you know, experiencing life in pieces. Huh? Two groups are contrasted in the scripture. And Jesus' direction here is an indication for us of the kind of team he is choosing. We, we could go back to the beginning of the... He already picked his team. That was in the earlier chapters of Mark. He's still... He, yeah, man. Yeah, Jesus already, you know, did the kickball thing. You know, you're on my team, you're not, you are. You, and you ended up with 12 players on the field, you know? ...record and find Jesus piecing together his team. 
which even that to me says a lot about the way that God works in our lives is that when God sent Jesus into the world to save the world for a purpose, he didn't send him with a pre-assembled team to accomplish the plan. We trained church leaders here over the last week, and many of them will ask this question or a form of it, where do you get your team? That makes me laugh because you think there's a warehouse. Because you think there's a -a Build-A-Team store. You, you think you can walk in and assemble the perfect team or, or, or even better, you think that God's going to give you everything that you need all at once when he calls you to do something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. Um, he's either treading water or something. I don't. Hmm. This has nothing to do with the text he just read. And yeah, he's rapidly heading in a very strange direction. Now let's fast forward just a little bit to see where he where he's really heading because he's kind of drifting in this direction, I think on purpose so that uh, people don't detect that he's moving in an odd direction. So we'll fast forward maybe 10, 12 minutes. Here we go. Your emotional provision, your financial provision, your relational provision is going to come in pieces. Um, what? Yeah, see, he's queuing in on the word pieces here, and now he's making some weird statements. And, and, and you'll receive one piece in one season and one piece in another. And what text says that? Because uh, Mark doesn't say that. And by the time you have everything you need, you don't even remember when it exactly got there because it came in pieces. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't even think he believes what he's saying here. He knows he's pulling a fast one. I receive my sermons in pieces. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, I believe that. I'll write some down and go, that's Come, like, together in a tinker toy set, you know? I'll write some else down and go, that's pretty good. I'll write some else down and go, that's pretty good. I'll write some else down and go, that's pretty good. And if I get enough pieces, it's just a matter of time before I have a a picture. Ooh, that might preach if I worked on it a little while. Mm, Yeah, well, maybe the other pieces haven't come in yet. Yeah, see, when Jesus uses the word pieces in uh, Mark 8, it has nothing whatsoever to do with what you're talking about here, Furtick. It comes in, in, in pieces, but the pieces don't look like the picture. So what happens is you get stuck on one part of your life where there's a missing piece. We don't have any bread. One part, bread is sitting in front of you. We don't have any bread. You're stuck on one thing. Feel horrible about yourself. Stuck on one thing. Kicking butt in 15... Ca- yeah, that is weird, Narsages. I don't... Again, this is bizarre. Glories. Making a C minus in one. And all you can see is the C. Stuck on the missing piece. Confession time. I was not the best dad this week. Okay? Okay. Not anything bad that I did. I slapped my kid across the room. Might have thought about it once or twice. Didn't do it. Thought about it before. Hadn't done it yet. It wasn't like that. I was just busy. I released a book. I preached. I traveled. I preached. I trained. I got sermons and things. I'm out everywhere. So this week, I I don't feel like I was like the best dad. I mean, I I don't feel like I knocked it out of the park as a dad this week. 
I didn't, I didn't get, Graham had his first baseball practice for the year. I didn't take him to baseball practice. I, somebody took him. I didn't take him. He got took. <laughs> but what is this? But I didn't take him. But guess what? Um, if I don't sell a book, he doesn't have a bat. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, yeah, if he doesn't sell a book, you know, uh, his poor kids won't be able to play baseball. Huh? <laughs> so this week I got to sell some books so you can have a bat. And next week I'll watch you swing it. Tell somebody, piece it together. I'm not going to win at everything all at once. I'm not going to be everything to everybody all at once. But my provision comes in pieces. Yeah, that was kind of a weird thing. Got to sell some books. Wow. Whoa. Yeah. He's not selling books during the sermon now, is he? Oh, so I'm going to be I'm going to be an excellent dad this week. I'm going to take him to school at least one day out of the week. I'm going to get that right. I bought some Elijah. You don't even know I bought this yet, but I bought and I told Miss Amy to keep it. I bought something for us to play with together. Cuz you know, I just figure Now listen people, I don't even like Star Wars, but this thing looked cool to me. Let's see, it's called the... Yeah, so he's got Star Wars Legos there. Nabu Starfighter. Nabu. <laughs> Nabu? Nabu? All right, let's take a vote. How many say it's Nabu? Nabu. Nabu? All right, we're going to call it the, the, the ship. The ship, I saw it. I thought, man, we can play with that. And since I didn't get a lot of time with them last week, we're going to... We're going to go home and fly this thing around. doesn't matter that I, I don't, I'm not a Star Wars fan. My kids love Star Wars. And we are going to take this thing and enjoy it this week. He's I saw now opening the Lego box. Picture, I thought, man, they're going to love that. Uh-oh, he looks surprised. He looks shocked. Sorry, man. We... I think they sold me a broken ship. I'll take this back to Target because yeah, he looks all you know like flummox here you know he can't believe, he's looking at the picture on the box and you know opened the box it doesn't look anything like the picture oh yeah you know because there were broken pieces in mark eight you know so you know he's got legos you know they come in pieces i'm not supposed to Prop the box up with the photograph. What do you do when this doesn't look like? What do you do when yeah you, you you assemble it? They're called Legos. You know they're really fun. You know you should try it sometime. This. 
What do you do when the pieces don't look like the picture? When the process doesn't look like the promise. He's got the hired, you know, preach it guys, you know, and girls, you know, sitting near, you know, at least within microphone shot. Yeah. Preach it, preach it. What do you do when the piece? Yeah, this has nothing. I, I mean, absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with the text that he read. He got it right when he said it was about a warning of the feet east of the Pharisees. And now he's wandered off into narcissist Jesus land and just totally missed the whole point. And I think you get the point is that, uh, you know, Stephen Furtick, I'm beginning to think that the older he gets and the more set in his narcissistic ways he's become, that he's becoming less capable of actually seeing what God's word says and means and actually sticking to that, that um, it's almost as if, well, how would I describe it? It's almost as if God has hardened his heart. Hmm. Something to think about. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Quick break when we come back. Sermon review. We're heading down to Venue Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee for a selfie sermon. Yeah, sounds like fun. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. High Ridge Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down. Down, click on the ad banner and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com, write down the promo code, click on the ad banner and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms and rental cars today. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, Our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you 
to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Venue Church, Chattanooga, Tennessee. Tavner Smith presiding. The name of the sermon series is Selfie Sunday. They had several Selfie Sundays all in a row. The name of the sermon we're going to be listening to is titled, Don't Do Life Alone. Don't do life alone. I don't know how else to prepare you for this sermon than just to tell you that you will be hearing... Tabner Smith encouraging the folks there at church to take a selfie posted on social media during the sermon. Let everybody know, hey, come on down to Venue Church. Yeah, which is probably the reason why he did the sermon series this way. But anyway, we go ahead and back off on the music. Without any further ado, here's Tabner Smith, Selfie Sunday. What's up, Venue Church? I am so glad that you're here. Good morning, this beautiful Sunday morning. I am just thankful that you didn't let the schedule and and the busyness of your life determine whether you were coming to church, but you made an effort to schedule around Sundays, and I'm glad you're here. We're in week three of Selfie Sunday, and here's how we start every Sunday. We're going to take Take the next 90 seconds, and here's what I want you to do. And y'all got to step your game up. Some people last week had selfie sticks. They had all kinds of stuff. So right here in Chattanooga, right there in Ringgold, Georgia, wherever you are listening, wherever you are watching, I want you right now get your smartphone out, get your phone out, whatever it is. And I- Have you ever brought a selfie stick to church on Sunday? Yeah, I haven't done that yet. I, I've, I must be missing out. Wrong with me. I want you to take some selfies. Hashtag Selfie Sunday. Hashtag Venue Church. And I want you to post them. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever it is. Yeah, get get the word out. Got to get to Venue Church. Yeah, free self promotion there. Yeah. Get it online. Get people here. Let people see that you're having a great time in God's house. Are you ready? You got 90 seconds. One, two. Just can't make this up. One, two, three. Here we go. All right, we're going to fast forward to the music part. It takes people, uh, you know, a little bit of time to, you know, make a selfie and stuff. So we'll just fast forward through this part and get back to the sermon. 
All right, venue, you can keep posting those pictures. You can keep doing what you're doing right there. But I need to go ahead and jump in the message this morning because I got to take us somewhere before we get done with our time together. If you got your Bibles or if you don't have a Bible with you, you can look on screen. But I want to take you to a verse in First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 this morning. First- uh, a verse. We're going to... Uh, <laughs> Boy, I can't wait to drill in exegetically into, you know, the Greek here and really unpack <laughs> this verse. Why do I feel like that's not what's going to happen? First Peter chapter 5, verse 8. I want to read you this verse, and then I want to talk to you and challenge you in a subject that I think is so important that we've made it one of our core values and beliefs here at Venue Church. I want to talk to you. Oh, it's so important that you made it one of your core values. Well, that's that's got to be really important then. To you on the subject of you can't do life alone. Now, I don't know where you come from. I don't know your back. <laughs> one of their core values, we're going to somehow shoehorn First Peter 5, verse 8, to talk about why you can't do life alone. Uh-huh. Background, I don't know what you've been through in your life. I, you may be a loner. You may uh, you may be one that wants to hang out by yourself. You don't really like crowds of people. Some, some people deal with all types of different personalities. But regardless of all these different things, I really believe that it is a biblical principle that you are not created to do life alone. And if you are going to live... It's a biblical principle you weren't created to do life alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I seem to believe that uh, Genesis chapter 2 talks about how it's not good that the man is alone. So God, you know, <clears throat> created male and female. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the whole family thing is kind of the answer to that, you know. Live your fullest life, which is the vision here at Venue Church. What can we do to teach God? The vision here is for you to live your fullest life. Mm-hmm. Right word in such a way that we can come together as a group of people and begin to live our fullest life. That's what we're about. If we're going to do that, what do we have to talk about? And today, I think that one of the main things that we need to focus on in this Selfie Sunday series, this series talking about... Yeah, they need to focus on selfie. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Although that's really not what he said. I just had to say that because it just sounded awful. Hey, what do I need to do to further myself, to take myself to the next level? (laughs) Well, he goes ahead and says that. Yeah, what do I need to take myself to the next level? Because, you know, it's Selfie Sunday. Man, I, you know, I've been in liturgical churches. And in liturgical churches, I mean, generally they have, um, you know, different recognition of different saints. I mean, you you know, you may recognize, you know, St. Peter on this day or, um, you know, the Annunciation, uh, the Ascension, Pentecost, and you think of, Things like that, but I've never heard of the liturgical um, Sunday known as Selfie Sunday. That one's new to me. I think community, being in community with others, is just a vital, vital importance. And so, with that being said, I just I'm not going to start off with a big story or anything like that. I want to start off by reading you a verse. A verse, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I cannot wait for the deep, profound, exegetical insights that he's going to unpack from you know the greek here and and really help us drill deep into this verse from the bible from god's word about what he has to say and it has to do with community it's first peter chapter 5 verse 8 and it says this it says stay alert 
Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. Listen to this now. He prowls around like a roaring lion, lion looking for someone to devour. Now, it doesn't say he is a lion, but it said he prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour. Now, I wanted to point the fact out that he doesn't say he is a lion because I believe that we are lions. We were created after the likeness of Christ, who is the lion of... Yep, no hope for any profound exegetical insight. I believe we are lions. Yeah, you know, because we're made in the image of God, and Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Do I need to respond to that? Of the tribe of Judah, and we are the kings of our territory that God has put us in. And a lot of... (laughs) Oh, this is terrible. (laughs) Poor... The kings of the territory God has put us in. We're only four minutes into the sermon, and I don't know if I'm going to make it. A lot of times we bow to a weaker person in the enemy, in the devil. We give him way more credit in our life, and we give him way more opportunity in our life to take over spaces that he should not be involved in. So I want to. Yeah, you better not give the devil any spaces, man. Make clear that he is not the lion we are, but for some reason we allow him to hunt us and to devour. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to be able to pull this off. <laughs> oh my goodness, this is terrible. Oh my god. So. The, it says that the devil prowls around like a lion, and we gotta realize he ain't the lion we are. <laughs> I'm just gonna keep keep going. Our us, and the main way we do it is by isolation. Let me give you a little analogy, just a little uh, thing that, that, that you can picture in your mind, because I know all of you have probably seen on the National Geographic channel or on Animal Planet or or whatever, you've seen these documentaries of maybe the safari in Africa and and the the camera pans across and and a narrator's talking and and you see this group of of antelope or elk or or whatever they are that are over there and and they're kind of just eating grass and then all of a sudden their heads pop up. They, They feel like they might be in danger and they all take off running in a group, but it is inevitable every time you watch one of these things on TV, what do you see? You always see the one that trips, that gets left behind, that, that doesn't get the, the memo that, hey, run together, and they end up by themselves. And if you ever watch these things on TV, here's what you'll notice. The common denominator in every one of these things is this. The lion never attacks the group. The lion always attracts, attacks the one who is isolated off by himself. He gets the one who might be weak, might be sickly, could I mean, he can't even get his metaphor straight. So the devil isn't a lion. He's just like a lion. But we're lions. But when lions hunt, they separate. You know, they try to get an animal separated from the pack so that they can pounce on him. But we're the lions. Mm -hmm. So who hunts lions? (laughs) 
I thought they were at the top of the food chain. I, wow. Couldn't keep up with the others. Uh, because here's the thing. Even in nature, the lion understands this principle. That if some, uh, some other animal is in a group, if something I'm coming to attack is in a group, there is more danger against me in a group than if I go against just one-on-one. I have power, and maybe if I get somebody, one of these things, I... Yeah, we're, we're not going to get anything biblically sound here in this sermon at all. Wow isolated off on its own maybe i can trip it up maybe i can put that put that last clamp down that just ends it for him maybe i can get them there but i'm not even going to try on the group because the group is too powerful for me it's a principle that i want you to learn today as we talk it's a principle of community it's a principle that 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 rules through nature but god created nature he's the one that created everything to operate in the earth the way that it operates and just as there is safety in numbers in the wild. There is safety in numbers when it comes to people, when it comes to our life, when it comes to our Christian life. And even if you're not a Christian. Yeah, just, just like there's safety in numbers in the wild. Yeah, that's why lions, because we're lions, you know, but the devil isn't. Because um, we're made in the image of the lion of the tribe of Judah. That's why lions hang out in very large herds. <laughs> And when the lions are being hunted, you know, yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, when one of the lions gets separated from the herd. And here, the enemy wants to attack you. He wants to take you down. He wants to take you out. Here's the thing that you have to realize. Number one is you're more powerful than him. But here's, the, here's what we also need to know. Is the only way that you take the ability to be more powerful than him and you outlast him and you live happily. Where in the Bible does it say I'm more powerful than the devil? We seem to be born under the dominion of the devil. Wouldn't that make him more powerful than us? Joyfully. I mean, if we were able to overpower and overthrow the devil because we're more powerful than him, would we need a savior? Or is it only after we become Christians that we're more powerful? I'm... A little confused because this is a seeker-driven church, and and you know they do church for the unchurched, which are pagans. So I'm a little confused here. Peacefully into your fullest life to do everything you are created to do. The only way that you can do that, I believe, is if you find a community of people and do it as a group. Right. Yeah. You can't do what you were created to do unless you you find a herd. See, church for years has fought this battle against the enemy just like they used to fight wars in the old days. I don't know if you've ever seen some of those movies, and I don't know what they were thinking when they came up with this type of fighting, but they would all come out in rows, and they would just face each other in rows and fight. People got shot, people died left and right, but military advances, military strategy, it all changed, and it all helped and it all made it more efficient to bring more life when they figured something out um <laughs> i don't think you're a military historian i'm mm-hmm. we can save more lives if we get out of our rows <laughs> this is just so awful and we get into groups and attack the enemy that way and church for too long 
has had people that just come in and sit in rows. And we come in and sit in a row and we don't know anybody. And we think if we get in our... <laughs> well, yeah, that makes logical sense. Now, jumping to the fact that people in church have been sitting in rows. Yeah, well, that'll just... Yeah, you're just making yourself wide open for the enemy there. Yeah. In our rows every Sunday, then we are going to conquer the world. But I want to challenge you in this, that just like we changed our military strategies and it brought us freedom in the United States and it brought us freedom all around the world. Here's what I would submit to you, that if you would step out of your rows and your old school thinking and be willing to step into groups and get into community, that we can defeat the enemy as he's trying to attack. We can move forward and live our fullest life. So here's what I want to do. To- yeah, you got to get out of rows and into community. Yeah, that because that's what First Peter 5, verse 8 is, you know, clearly saying. It's just no one's seen it until Tavner started, you know, really taking a crack at it exegetically. Today, I want to share a few stories of real people who've had real impact from community right here at Venue Church. And I want to challenge you, if you'll take that same challenge that they took and get involved in a community that'll change your life forever. Check out this story. My name's Kara. I serve on the guest team at Venue Church, and this is my story. I moved to Tennessee from Ohio in January. So we're not going to hear about Jesus. Uh, we've read one verse out of context, and everything he said had nothing whatsoever to do with the what the verse actually says. Uh, we've got uh, wild kingdom analogies and bizarre <laughs> logic because we're the lions. Um, and now we're to testimony time about community. Mm-hmm. Yep, we ain't learning nothing about what the Bible actually says in this sermon. I'm convinced we're going to get like nothing whatsoever. January, and when I moved here, I didn't have any friends. I didn't know anybody. And when I came to Venue, I knew that was the place for me where I could get involved and meet people. And, you know, they were very well. Yeah, meet people, listen to false doctrine. Yeah, it, it's a great place. Welcoming and made me feel at home, definitely. So I knew I wanted to get involved and I found a staff member in the lobby my second time here and told them I really wanted to get involved in life groups. And they found one that was very close to my house. And so the, that night I got a phone call from the leader of that group. And she was telling me how excited she was that I was in their group and made me feel so welcome and comfortable and made me really excited to be a part of their group. So I went to their house that night. Never have met any of them, didn't know anybody that was going to be there, just pulled into a house, and um, out she came running out, so excited that I was there, just couldn't wait to meet me and bring me into their home and welcome me, and just made me feel like part of the group, and since then, we have become very close friends, and they're actually two of my best friends now, and just a few short months ago, I didn't know anybody. Now I feel like I have a lot of friends at Venue. Um, anything that I ever want to go do, I always have somebody I can call that is there or I can talk to. Um, and it's just been a blessing in my life to have people around, surrounding myself with people that are living their fullest life and 
you know, want to live to glorify God and have the same goals as I do. It's just been a real blessing in my life. It's really changed me as a person. And I've grown so much since I've been at Venue, and I'm just so glad. I mean, who can argue against life change, you know, except for Muhammad Ali claimed that Islam changed his life. Hmm. That I became a part of it, and now I'm able to actually lead my own life group. I uh, lead the hiking group on Sundays from 3 to 5. Every Sunday we just get together and go hiking and have fun and laugh and talk about God and just do life together. And it's- yeah, just, you know, we hike and talk about God and do life together. Yeah. Wow. Okay. It's been amazing. It's been a huge blessing in my life. It's super easy to get involved in a life group here, and it really will change your life. One of the cool things that I was thinking as I, I was watching that story is that she was brand new to town. She didn't know anybody. She was at a new church. She was with new people, new environment, new everything all around her. But here's the thing. She overcame every obstacle that could have kept her from saying, hey, I'll just stay to myself. Hey, that's not. And she stepped over those obstacles and joined a group, got into a community and literally has changed her life. The one thing I know about Kara... Let's give her a standing O. Kara that was on there. Kara comes into the office all the time. She's always helping. She's always around. She's always doing something with the church. And and before that, it wasn't like that. Her life was completely different than that. And God completely changed her life, not even because of a message I preached, not necessarily because of a song that we sang, not because of anything, but mainly because of community that she found in the church. But here's what hit me, and and I wanted to follow up the story by this, is she had every opportunity in the world to stay to herself. See, the truth is this, is that I'm going to preach this message. I'm going to give you this opportunity to say, hey, maybe community is for me. Maybe it is the answer. And you've probably heard it before. You've probably heard it as we've announced it. You've probably heard it at another church. You've probably heard it in another way, even if it's not in a church way. So community is the the answer. What's the question again? Or, or, or if it's not even anything spiritual or having to do with church, you've heard this principle before of, hey, get in a group. But you always have a reason why it's not going to work. And I, and I have three reasons that most people, uh, they don't join a life group and three things that we have to do to get over them. And, and here's, here's what they are. Number one is you have to get over your excuses. Here's the thing that I've learned about excuses is this. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, First Peter 5, 8, you know, you got to get over your excuses. It's nowhere in the text, but, you know, it's clearly implied. Excuses are always available, and they're easy to come up with, and they're easy to find. Uh, the truth is this. Hey, man, I would, you, 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 I need life groups. I need community. I need something to shift in my life. But, but you just don't know how busy I am. You just don't know. I don't have the time. My, my kids do this and they're playing this sport and they're dancing and they're doing this and I work too much and I do this and I do that and I don't feel it's in, it's my personality. I don't, I'm, I'm shy. I, I have all this stuff going on in my life or I've, I don't want anybody to know about this. And here's the deal is this. Could you find every excuse under the sun to not get involved in community? Absolutely. But will that help you to move into your next step 
of your fullest life. Absolutely not. I have something. Yeah. I mean, how can you make that next step into your fullest life if you're not in community? I mean, yeah, you can find that in fourth Hezekiah, you know, in the Old Testament, um, chapter 157. It's right there, you know, verse two. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know where he's getting any of this. He's clearly not teaching biblically. I say around here all the time, if you want something different, you got to do something different. Can I tell you something about excuses? Even though they're easy to find and even, even though you always have one available and ready for you, excuses have never moved anybody forward in their life in any way. Never. Excuses keep people stranded. Excuses keep people isolated. Excuses keep people cornered by themselves, wondering what it would be like if something shifted and changed in their life. So I want to challenge you, just like Kara did. She had every excuse in the world not to get involved. She pulled up for the first time and had never even met the person before. She could have said, oh, that's uncomfortable, but she did it anyway. And it's changed your life. Not only do most people talk about excuses, but most people think they have exceptions. I don't know if you're this way, but I talk to people all the time who come to me and they want to counsel and talk about problems. And here's what they think. They think that their problem is the exception to the rule. Now, pastor, I know that you've heard this story 12 times, but mine's an exception because there's some different details involved in mine. And everybody thinks, oh, pastor, I hear about excuses. I hear about community. I hear about this. But you don't know me. You don't know my story. My story's a little bit worse. My background's a little bit deeper. My, my, my situation's a little more complicated. But here's what I'm going to tell you. And this may sting a little bit. Maybe it'll help. Maybe it'll set you free. But you need to hear it. Are you ready for this? You are not an exception to the rule. You're not. Community saves people, period. You are not an exception. Yeah, but you don't know my past. I don't have to know your past. God knew your past when he wrote in the Bible that we need to be involved with other people in order to have our fullest lives. When he wrote to watch out for the enemy who's seeking whom he may devour. When he was thinking, hey, I'm going to create nature to where the, the, the lion will get the one that's off by itself. So be careful. You've got a lion type guy, an enemy doing the same for you. So stay in a group. When he wrote that, he knew your story. He knew that you would think it was an exception. But can I tell you something? I guarantee you what you'll find out when you join a group is, is that your story may not even be as bad as you think it is. You may need to join a group just to, just so you could go and say, whoo, I thought I was bad. You should meet some of these people in my group. Man, they got. <laughs> if, the, if you saw this on a, like a television program, this would be on a comedy. But this is real life. <laughs> so the reason why this pastor says you need to get in a group is so that you can see how screwed up everybody else is. And like more screwed up than you are, so you feel less screwed up. What? Some crazy stories, but I'm telling Yeah, this is crazy, all right. I'm telling you, your story is not an exception. It may be crazy, but it's not an exception. But then number three, people don't join life groups because they try to escape. I, I was thinking about this because I'm a movie guy. I love to watch movies. And, and you got the movies to where, uh, like, you got your old school, like, scary movies. And I don't know if you've ever watched one of those. And, and 
for whatever reason, they're always in the woods. You know what I'm saying? Like, get out of the woods, people. Like, just get in the city. You know what I'm talking about? And you won't get killed as much. And so, anyways, they're always in the woods. And, and for whatever reason, there's always, like, this big party going on about 30 yards away, you know? But they just happen to have thought, hey, I'm bored with the party. I'll just go hang out in the woods by myself for a little bit and maybe get killed or something, you know? And so they're out there hanging in the woods, and, and, and you can see it. They don't know it yet, but you're watching the movie, and you can see the guy creeping around. He's coming to get them. And finally, they come out to get them, and here's what happens. You know this because you know you talk to your movies just like I do. You know you're yelling at the TV, telling them what to do as if they could hear you. I do it all the time. Here's what happens. They see the, the person coming. They see the thing coming, and instead of running... 30 yards to the left to where everybody is and the lights are on and there can be help. They turn around and run the other way into the woods where nobody is. They're trying to escape, but they're running away from the help. And it's what I've seen since I've become a pastor. It's what I've seen since I've been trying to build community in God's kingdom is this, is the initial reaction to everybody when they encounter something scary, when they encounter trouble in their life, is they never run to help. They always run away to where they're by themselves. They think if they can just get along, maybe nobody will think bad about me. Maybe I can just think through this thing. Maybe I can sleep it off. Maybe I can just lock myself in the room for a few days. Maybe I can get over it myself. But can I just give you a challenge? Anytime you come up with excuses, anytime you think you're an exception, anytime you try to escape, you're running away from the help that God created for you to lead you into your fullest life. So I want to challenge you. Don't make the excuses. Don't think you're the exception. Don't try and make the escape. Instead, take a step of faith. Take a step of boldness. Yeah, step of faith. You know, join a community group. Go hiking and do life and, you know, chat about God with other people. Boldness. Take a step that, that, that needs bravery and courage. Yeah, I mean, yeah, for sure. I mean, you'll get a medal if you join a life group. To do something different in your life so that you can see something different just like Kara did. Because God really wants to do something special in you just like he's done in everybody else that you're going to see today because he's not a respecter of people. He's a respecter of principles. I want you, oh, yeah. That, that's profound right there. Yeah. I want you to check out this one more story. Another testimonial. This will really make the point. We're not learning nothing from the Bible here, like nothing at all. That God's done in somebody's life and venue that has changed them, and he wants to do the same in you. Watch this. Hi, I'm Kim Franks, and this is my story. I joined my first life group. Yeah, we get Kim Franks' story. Not Jesus's, but Kim Franks. About a year ago, um, I was asked to facilitate for the ladies in the life group. Um, I was their encourager. I would text them throughout the week, call them if needed, um, pray with them when they needed prayers. That was something I could do. Then I was asked to leave my life group. Um, it was way beyond anything I had expected. Um, I was, it was way out of my comfort zone. Um, I never thought I was good enough to lead a group. Never thought I knew enough to lead a group. Um, and just, I never thought of myself as a leader, period. Um, 
I did it the first night, and I went home, and I remember talking to my husband, and I said, Charlie, I just don't think I can do this. Well, he told me, he said, Kim, you did a good job. Um, and, of course, you know, he's my husband. I figured he's just saying that anyway. Um, but then I go back the next week, and several people in the group told me how much they appreciated what I have done to lead this group and to have the group each week. Um, and I thought, well, you know, maybe I can do this. Um, and each week I feel I've gotten stronger um, in talking to a group and, you know, group discussions and things like that. Um, and, I, you know, here's a girl who never thought she could do anything like that, and I'm doing it. Um, so if anybody out there is thinking about joining the life group, well, that's simple, really simple. Just sign up. There's so many to pick from. And for those of you who think you're not good enough or not ready to even lead a life group, you are. Um, there's so much that each of us have to give to others and to lead others. Um, and you can do this. It's easy to do. It's simple to do. Um, my strategy, I pray before every life group. Pray that I can that I can lead the group where God wants me to lead it. Um, you know, we discuss issues that are going on in our home life. In other words, uh, when you get together with your life group, you're not going to get um, any solid Bible study at all. This woman doesn't sound like she's qualified to teach a Bible study. Or, um, you know, daily struggles that we each have. We hold each other up in prayer. Um, if somebody's got an issue going on, something at home with a child, a job, whatever, if that's what needs to be talked about for the whole life group time, well, that's what we do. Um, yeah, in other words, go to church during Sunday. You will not get any really solid biblical teaching. Go to life group during the middle of the week. Yeah, you ain't got nothing that you're going to learn about the Bible there correctly there either. In other words, the whole church experience there at um, Venue Church will not actually disciple you at all as a Christian, biblically. Wow. Um, so there's really no, you know, you don't have to be structured. You don't have to be um, a perfect person to lead a group, and especially, you know, nobody's perfect anyway. Um Step yeah, right. No one's perfect anyway. Step out of your comfort zone. Lead if you can lead. Just step out and do it. You'd be amazed at what can happen. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 is the uh, completion of kind of a really nice, nice chiasm that uh, the Apostle Paul uh, wrote starting at verse 1 which I think is one of the most important passages of all of Scripture that teaches the doctrine of salvation by grace through faith apart from works. You know, kind of culminating with, you know, verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one might boast, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Yet nothing about here about life groups or selfie Sunday or living in community. Um, wow. 
says, for we are God's masterpiece. Uh, no, actually, oh, man. Notice the Q-sappy music. This is an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression that God the Holy Spirit is now descending on the audience as they get ready to make decisions to join a life group. And that he has created us new in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things. Listen to this. That he planned for us long ago. You're his masterpiece. Do you know what that means? That means out of all, if an artist has created a hundred works, the one that is his most prized possession, the one that has made his name famous is his masterpiece. Yeah, you're 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 the 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 masterpiece that has made God famous. Oh, he's exegeting the message paraphrase. And did you know how God made his name famous? He made his name famous by creating such a good work as you. And the Bible says <laughs> Why is anybody going to this church? That as he created you He gave you good things to do. Listen, I want you to hear how this verse ends. That he planned for you long ago. Now think about that long ago. When he wrote that word long ago, that was 2,000 years ago when this was written and it was still long ago. Why? Because before the foundations of the earth, he had a plan for you. I know just like... Yeah, he made you a lion so that you can live in a herd. Uh, this last story, you, you feel that you felt the same way. You feel like you're disqualified. You feel like you're not a leader. You feel like you maybe can be in a life group and not lead a life group. You feel like, well, maybe I can't even be in one because I'm not qualified. Maybe I need to get better first. Do this. Yeah, don't worry. They don't have any qualifications for being a life group leader there, except for that you're breathing. First, fix this first. I'll never be like them. I'll never be like that. I'm kind of over here, so I might as well stay back. I don't want to be the bad apple that spoils the whole bunch. And can I just tell you something? God has created you new. You are his masterpiece. You are qualified. You are special. You are loved. You are valued. You listen, and long ago, Well, Pastor, you wouldn't say that to me if you really knew the things that I've been through and the things that I've done. Yes, I would, because long ago, he decided that about you. Long ago, before you were born, before the foundations of the world, before there was ever an America, before there was ever uh, uh, seven continents and an ocean, and, and before there was ever governments, before there was ever anything that you could do to mess up, before there was ever even a thought of a thought of your grandparents or great grandparents who would be in your lineage to give you a place to live before any of that was ever thought about long ago god chose you as your ma- as his masterpiece there is- yeah i mean you are literally the apex of the whole universe not jesus you are yeah yeah you are the firstborn of all cre- you are just the yeah wow is a place you are qualified you are special you do listen you do belong But I just want to tell you as I close that no matter what bad you've done and no matter what good you've done, there's one fact that remains right in the middle of either of those lives. You can't do life alone. You can't do it. And so today, third week of Selfie Sunday, 
We've talked about community. You've heard some stories. You've heard the heart of God through the scriptures. You've heard my heart and the passion for me and for Venue Church here, how we want everybody to live their fullest life. And we feel like being a part of community is a part of that. In this moment, here's what we want to do. Because we don't want to just preach good messages. We want to preach things that you can apply to your life. They can change you forever. And so here's the altar call right now. I'm not going to bow heads. We're not going to close eyes. We're not going to do anything like this. I don't want you to raise your hand, but I want to ask you this. Have you been running from community? Have you been ashamed of your past? Have you been, have you been scared maybe because of your personality? Have you been making excuses, making exceptions, trying to escape? Have you been, maybe you just didn't know the importance of it. Maybe you've just never known. Maybe you were taught that, Hey, you can do this alone. Maybe But after you've heard the message today, if you would say, Pastor, you know, I can't do life alone. I don't really even want to do life alone. Or maybe I've never thought about doing life. I've been running from community. Okay, I'll be honest. I'll be transparent. I've been running from community. Life with others, but I'm willing to give it a try because something's got to shift in me. Then today, I just want to ask you, would you give community a chance? Here's how we do it. We have what we call life groups. We have all we are saying is give community a chance. (laughs) What on earth is this? Several different areas that you can get involved in. And here's the important thing about it. It is so simple to get involved. All you have to do is sign up and show up. That's it. That's it. You can go online to Venue Church and you can find our life groups tab and you can you can click on a life group. There's tons of them listed there. They talk about what they do, who's in charge, what time, can you bring kids, can you not bring kids. You can find one on any night of the week doing something that you would enjoy and get involved. You can go to our app, our Venue Church app. You can sign up that way. Or if you're old school and you just like a piece of paper and a pen, you can stop by the Next Steps Center on the way out here in Chattanooga or in Ringgold. And you can sign up for a life group there. Here's what they are. They have, we have several types. We have groups that get together and they discuss my messages. They have notes. They go by. They, they dig deeper. They talk and get close with each other. There's those kind of like. There's life groups that they go through books that we've approved for them to go through that, that, that we feel like would add value to your life. There's those types. And then there's interest-based ones. That we have groups. There's a group that they love to knit, and they knit together and talk about Jesus. There's a group that goes hiking together. There's a group that goes golfing together, a group that goes fishing together. There is all types of groups that do all types of things. There's groups that work out together. There's group- Can you imagine going to a life group that sits around and discusses this guy's sermons? They have notes, you know. <laughs> Rehashing of nonsense. Groups that eat together, like they just eat and have fun and talk and do stuff like that. Whatever it is, it's easy, it's simple, but it's time for you to step out of your isolation. Yeah, you need you need to step out, yeah. You don't want to be a lion without a herd. And step into a community because I believe if you do, and I'm telling you this, I believe if you do, something will change. Yeah, something Something's going to change, right? Dramatically. So my challenge to you today is this. Before you leave, don't even walk out the door without talking to somebody 
about joining a life group. Log on on your phone right now. Log on on the app. Go out to the Next Step Center. Find somebody in a venue shirt and just talk to them. Ask them. They'll know something about how you can get involved and make community a part of bettering your life because it will make it better. I love you guys. Not enough to actually preach God's word to him correctly. Join community today and watch what God is going to do. Let's say a prayer. And after- yeah, Don, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I'm not going to sit through one of his. I don't know which God he actually believes in, to be honest with you. Well, that was, um, well, perfectly awful, to be honest with you. And uh, didn't learn a thing. Except that there's whole mega churches now where... The whole program, from sermon to small groups, is guaranteed um, to not teach you God's word at all. Mm-hmm. Well, there you go. Okay. Pretty much that is a place that's run not by Christ, but I would say probably by the devil. What did you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash fire Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there at fire Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>